All right, all right, everyone, take your seats. This time we're talking about the power of positive illusion. Take your seats, please. Welcome to the Change Academy podcast, where we break down the science of behavior change and empower you to feel optimistic about becoming your best self. I'm Brock Armstrong. And I'm Monica Reinagel. Welcome. Welcome. You know, Brock, having a firm grip on reality is usually seen as a sign of good mental health, (laughs) if not sort of a prerequisite for good mental health. Exactly. But some social scientists have discovered that happy and successful people routinely overestimate their skill, their talent, and their chances of success. And in fact, that irrational optimism may be one of the secrets to their success. Hmm. So in this episode, we're going to explore why being overly optimistic is not some sort of cognitive flaw that you need to fix, but could actually be a constructive trait that you might want to cultivate. I love it. But before we get into that, we have an excellent email this week. I know I say that probably every time we we have a note from one of our listeners, but I'm really excited about this one. This is from a person that we've been working with in the Way Last program. And we were talking about some different things that don't necessarily relate directly to weight loss, but they had this to say. One of my superpowers is pulling through when no one thinks I will. My high school counselor told me to drop out of high school because I would never graduate. Well, I graduated with two scholarships. My parents told me that I wouldn't make it through my last semester of undergrad, and I graduated with great grades. My parents also told me to not even try going for grad school, and I just graduated with my master's. So... It's for the biggest hurdles that I somehow managed to find it within me to jump higher than anyone thought I could. So I know that I can do this. The daily struggles might make it longer than I would like, but I will get there. And you know, when I read those words, I was like, yep, they will get there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Even though, you know, they've, they're dealing with some tough challenges, which is why we were kind of inter- going back and forth with them. And uh, boy, when I got this email, I thought, yep, I have no doubt. Yeah. And it really, this aligns so beautifully. It was really wonderful timing with the topic that we're going to get into today. Exactly. Um, So we just couldn't resist highlighting their emails. Well, you know, before we dive in, I want to just set the stage with a little bit of research. Mm -hmm. So back in 1988, two psychologists, um, Shelley Taylor and Jonathan Brown, published a paper that really shook up their whole industry because they were challenging what was at that time a prevailing notion that we needed to have accurate perceptions of ourselves and the world in order to be mentally healthy. But instead, they had combed through dozens and dozens of studies and come up with data to demonstrate that people's perceptions on the whole tend to be positively biased. And what they mean by that is that We tend to view ourselves in unrealistically positive terms. You know, we all think we're slightly above average. We believe that we have more control over external events than we actually have. And normal, healthy people also generally expect the future to be better than the actual facts might predict. And this was just what characterized, like I say, normal, healthy people. And not only that, but Taylor and Brown argued that these positive illusions actually promote psychological well-being. Mm -hmm. 
So what do you think about that, Brock? Does that surprise you or does it, is it something you feel like you've, you already knew? It, it surprises me in some ways because I think we all have this understanding or this idea that we need to be realistic when we're approaching Mm -hmm. things in life. We need to like, don't be a dreamer and be realistic about what you're, what you're able to achieve and, and all that kind of stuff. But then actually in the paper, they, they made a, a great comparison where we tend to view ourselves always on a higher sort of plane or, or a higher pedestal than other people just in general. And I, I was thinking about myself, I was out driving the other day and, you know, how that feeling of like everybody on the road is a terrible driver except for you. Right. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, absolutely. That's, that is absolutely true that we do tend to put ourselves on a, on just a higher playing field, I guess, than the general populace. And and I never really thought about how that could actually be a good thing and actually fuel us and help us achieve stuff. But it really does make sense. Yeah, well, I was thinking more after I reviewed that paper about why. Why would being, in a way, sort of irrational, being irrationally optimistic, why might that help us? And I think one way that I can think of is that if we feel really confident that we are going to reach a certain goal or achieve a certain thing, I think we're probably more likely to then take the actions that are going to lead to that outcome. Mm-hmm. And that obviously would make that outcome more likely. So it becomes a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I know I've heard you say before, you know what, if you expect to fail, you probably will. So yeah. I think it probably also works in reverse. If we feel like we don't have very good chance of achieving something, how hard are we going to work for that? Yeah, I think it was the the famous philosopher Yogi Berra <laughs> who said, uh, "If it doesn't matter if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're probably right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not just that we manifest things into reality by thinking about them or wishing for them. It's that when we can envision ourselves achieving something, we actually take the steps to make it happen. So it's a little bit more concrete than some of the positive thinking pop psychology might have you believe. Now, when you first actually brought up this topic in our little communications that we have before we actually dive into what we want to really get into, you mentioned one of my favorite broadcasters, Lulu Miller, who I've been listening to for years and years. And you brought up the book that she recently wrote called Why Fish Don't Exist. Yes, I loved this book. Let's give Lulu a plug while we're at it. (laughs) Because she was the one who who first brought this research to my attention. She took a little sidebar, a little digression in her book, Why Fish Don't Exist, which is sort of a profile, a biological profile. Well, now you've caught me out, Brock, because I can't remember that. David Starr Jordan, I think that's the Yes, David Starr Jordan, a taxonomist. Right, a taxonomy. So it's a sort of a um, profile of his career, uh, but she takes this really interesting sidebar to talk about the psychological benefits of irrational optimism, which David Starr Jordan had in spades. But I can totally recommend this book. It was so fun to read and interesting, and I learned a lot. And she's just got as great a voice on the page as she does on the radio. So <laughs> plug for Lulu's book. Yes. David Starr Jordan really is one of those guys like he uh, his work was demolished like three or four times by Mm -hmm. natural disaster. His daughter died. His wife died. Like just everything was thrown at him that possibly could happen. And yet he just kept rebuilding and and plugging forward. He was one of the most interesting guys you've never heard of. He was also the first president of Stanford University. 
Yeah, there you go. fascinating book. But anyway, yes. back to, you know, you mentioned before about you, we feel like we have to be realistic or we're trained to be realistic. And mm-hmm. I wonder if part of that is that we want to prevent being disappointed. You know, if yes. we don't get our hopes up, then they, they can't be shattered. And so it's a way of kind of cushioning ourselves against disappointment. But as we just said, you know, if you're preparing for failure, it kind of makes it more likely that you will fail. So... I'm not sure that this is a very good strategy. We're not really avoiding disappointment. We're sort of ensuring it. Yeah. You actually introduced me to the term pre-failing. Mm. I can't remember who who brought that to your attention. Yeah. Brooke Castillo sometimes talks about failing ahead of time where uh, yes. you're afraid you're not going to be able to do it. And so you don't even try. <laughs> yeah. And it's exactly what you were saying. It really is just we're trying to, I guess protect ourselves from that disappointment and and I, I was thinking of it as almost like when you do fail and you're approaching it with that realistic viewpoint that you're kind of giving an old I told you so to any sort of optimism that may have actually lived somewhere deep inside you that you weren't allowing to bubble to the surface you you can sort of say well look I I knew that wasn't going to work so I told you so <laughs> right you can't you don't get what you want but at least you can be right yes <laughs> So yeah, there's, so there's that one thing that when we are optimistic about achieving success, we're more likely to take action to to create that. But I think another way that being optimistic helps us is that when we feel certain that we will eventually succeed, it makes us so much more resilient to the inevitable setbacks. So instead of getting really discouraged when something doesn't go well and just giving up, it's so much easier for us to frame it well, as a speed bump rather than a roadblock, you know, and just to keep going, like David Starr Jordan, the fourth time his fish collection was destroyed by a natural disaster. Yeah, an earthquake, I believe, was the fourth time. <laughs> there were fires, there were earthquakes, there were no locusts, but there might as well have been. But I think looking at our own lives, I think we can be a little more, um, uh, we can understand this a little bit better if we just look at sort of our evolution, maybe as as children. Like we spend a lot of time just learning how to walk. And let's say if we didn't have the confidence that eventually we were going to succeed at walking, well, the first time you fell over and in my case, hit my head on the coffee table, oh. <laughs> I probably would have given up and would still be crawling around on the floor. But there is that belief, that that innate belief in our DNA, I guess, that we will be able to do this. And so Every time you fall down, you just pick yourself back up again. And and maybe it's not until the next day, or maybe there's a Spider-Man Band-Aid or two involved in the process. But children do get back on the bike, back on the whatever it happens to be that they're learning how to do. And somehow as adults, we, we start to lose that belief in ourselves, I guess, that we will actually achieve what we're setting out to do. So we see those roadblocks and those little speed bumps like you were talking about as being failures rather than just as part of the process. Yeah, you know, that that example of learning how to ride, say, a two-wheeled bike is a good one because kids do, you know, it takes them a long time to learn how to do that. And if you watch a kid learning to ride a two-wheeled bike, it's not like they get gradually better, gradually better, gradually better, and then they can. Oh, yeah. They're a hot mess until that one moment when their brain and their muscles and their uh, center of gravity all coordinate and suddenly they're riding a two-wheel bike. But up until that moment, they're basically failing right up until that moment. Uh, And it does not deter them. And sometimes maybe as adults, you know, we're looking for that more linear progression 
And when we have those tasks, language acquisition is another one where it can feel like you have to work a really long time without making any obvious progress. And then all of a sudden you make a whole bunch of progress at once. Just another good reason that having confidence in your ability to succeed can help propel you through what is sometimes a long learning curve. Right. When we were talking about this earlier this week, Brock, you mentioned a, a TED Talk, I think, you about video games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, a great TED Talk. I'm, I'm forgetting the fellow's name, but it, if you just look for the Super Mario effect, you'll find the, the TED Talk that I'm talking about where he really talks about approaching this same sort of idea of approaching with the confidence that one day you will beat the game. So what you're, what you're focused on when you're first playing, that Super Mario is a great... Uh, a great one because I think most of us played that at some point in our lives or another. And let's say you just started playing the game. You you're learning how to use the controls first. Once you've learned how to use the controls, then you learn how to properly move your character around the screen. Like how high can it jump? How fast can it go? You learn the obstacles, like the <laughs> sliding turtles that knock you over and the pits that you fall in. And each one of those things isn't necessarily viewed as a failure. Like if you get knocked over by the sliding turtle, it's not a failure. It's just a, okay, I remember, I'll know that for next time. Mm. Next time a turtle comes sliding at me, I'll know to jump over it or run away from it or go on to another level or something. Or if I'm coming up to that pit, I know I have to jump at the last second. And it's a skill acquisition that you can then apply the next time around. And you just keep building on that and building on that and building on that with the belief, again, that one day you will be able to beat the game once you have all that skill acquired. And it's just a, a matter of keeping going long enough to to get all the skill to to finish the game. And I, I, I just love the idea of turning sort of any task into more of a video game where we're acquiring skills rather than looking at uh, each failure as a setback. Yeah, the failure is almost required to make progress. Yeah, you don't know the rules of the game until you get knocked over by the seventh turtle and the <laughs> well, and your little Mario falls into a pit. I have to admit, I guess I'm the one person involved in this podcast who has not played this game before. And just somehow I skipped the video game portion of my childhood. I guess I was at choir practice or something. But I did a couple That's of years ago. That's what I ago. did after choir practice. <laughs> it was the perfect time. Um I did play a game that I think is somewhat like this, like that has the controls that you have to move your little bodies around with, with my six-year-old nephew once. And I was really struggling just to figure out how to go forward, how to go backwards and which button to push to make things happen. And and my six-year-old nephew was actually able to manage his console and reach over with one hand and give me a little help with mine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. How yeah. humiliating. <laughs> yeah. but That's okay. You have anyway, other so, skills. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. Much more but, valuable uh, ones. You know, as with almost anything, in fact, we should see if we can think of one example of which this isn't true. It is possible to go too far. It is mm. possible to overdo this. So, you know, if you go too far in your positive illusion, you know, you start to tip over into delusion. And that's not a healthy way to embrace the world. It can actually, you know, lead to some dangerous situations. I mean, we don't want you showing up at the base camp from Mount Everest in flip-flops and just out of sheer optimism at your <laughs> capacity, just setting off for the top, you know? Yeah, I think one very realistic sort of idea here is buying uh, lottery tickets again and again. 
having that confidence that if you just mm. buy enough lottery tickets, you're going to win that million dollars. So you don't need to worry about retirement savings or you don't need to worry about paying off your mortgage in a hurry. And there are a lot of people out there, a surprising percentage of the population is counting on winning a lottery of some sort in order to enjoy their retirement. Um, I think that could be a, a good example of not letting your optimism get the better of you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the solution to that is just a little basic math, but um, but that's an example of... Oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but there's an example of something that you're optimistic about, but you cannot take any steps to make it happen. You have no agency. Yeah. You know, you're just kind of, I don't know what you're, why you're hoping that, that math won't apply. But um, yeah, so so it helps, I guess, it can propel you forward if you're optimistic about something that you then can actually participate in creating as an outcome. And, you know, that's it's we should also point out that just being optimistic is not going to save you from doing the work you can't just Mm. think yourself to the top of mount everest you're going to have to do some really serious training to get yourself in shape to do that but we are usually willing to work a lot harder for something that we believe we can ultimately achieve right so being optimistic about your success means that you're willing to put in the effort in order to achieve it. It's like learning the the skills that you need to complete playing Super Mario and save <laughs> the princess from the, the tower. You still have to do the learning, but you're confident that once you've learned it, you will achieve. Right. And then that becomes motivating. Mm-hmm. Is that what Super Mario is trying to do? Get somebody out of a get a princess? out yeah, of Yeah, the there's a oh. there's a vague story about a damsel in distress. <laughs> I thought he was like a race car driver or something. He's a plumber. Oh, I don't, oh. don't you know? Because <laughs> that's who you call when you've been um, kidnapped by a wizard, I think. That would be my first call, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, one of the things that actually has been really popular in more than recently, I guess, probably in the last 10 or 12 years, is this idea of practicing gratitude. And actually doing it very deliberately. There are gratitude journals out there where you sit down and and write down what you're grateful for and many gratitude practices. I know families sit around and they discuss over dinner what they're they're grateful for from that day. And I think that actually is one of the the ways that we can start to cultivate our own positivity and, and start to maybe build some of that, like we were talking about in the beginning, like getting away from that more realistic kind of view that kind of Debbie Downer kind of view of our lives and build ourselves up a little bit so we do have that optimism that can can propel us into feeling like we're or knowing we're going to achieve whatever we want to achieve if we set our minds to it. Yeah, the the research on that is so strong that that spending some time articulating the things that we're grateful for can really make us happier with our lives and and make us feel better. And I think in a similar way spending some time reflecting on past successes or hard things that we've been able to do in the mm-hmm. past or accomplish in the past can be a really great way to build up your confidence and your optimism. You know, looking back and saying like, well, that was super hard and I did that. It can help make you more confident that you could do something hard again, that you could achieve another big goal. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, when Taylor and Brown were going through all that data, Another thing that they observed is that when optimists look back on the past and tell the story of their lives, they tend to really remember and emphasize the positives in their story and sort of minimize the negatives. 
Now, it'd be really easy to just sort of put these people into some sort of Pollyanna <laughs> um, category and, and think that they're delusional and and stuff. But the the science really bears it out that they are the ones who are succeeding probably more than us realists. So I, uh, I, I'm going to try to embrace this idea, even though I, I know I tend to look back on my life and, and focus a little more on my, my stumbles than I do on my triumphs, but, uh, it's, it's good. This is a good, good reminder and some good fodder to just try to work on that positivity a little bit more. And you know what? I think what it comes down to for a lot of us is giving ourselves permission to focus on that positivity. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because, like we've said many times during this episode so far, that we have this idea that we need to be realistic about things all the time. And so giving ourselves that permission to be a little more um, rose-colored glasses about things does take some effort and takes a little bit of um, a little bit of a leap of faith, I guess. Yeah, a little training. But you know, the reasons that we can find to believe in ourselves are there. Just like there are reasons maybe that we could doubt our success are there. It's just kind of which ones we're going to give priority in our thought yeah. process, which ones we're going to filter for and and concentrate on. Right. Which thoughts do we choose to water and which ones do we pluck out with our, what was our, our weeding <laughs> analogy, the, the cosmic tweezer? <laughs> right. Weed it? out of our cognitive gardens. Well, I have sort of a lab experiment in mind that could allow us to all to play around with this a little bit this week, but um, let's let's see if we can't wrestle this into some takeaways. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think the first takeaway that people can do some rumination on is that being willing to believe that you'll beat all the odds can actually make it more likely that you will beat all the odds. And next, when you believe you'll be successful in the end, it's easier to cope with and even learn from all those little setbacks along the way. Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Then reflecting on past successes, well, that can be a good way to bolster your optimism about the future. And often we refer to that as collecting evidence, don't we? Mm, That's right. Yeah. And finally, optimism doesn't save you from having to do the work, but we're usually willing to do the work and work harder for something that we believe that we can achieve. So go ahead, let yourself dream. Dream a little. All right, let's try this for an experiment. First, think of a goal or a result that you'd like to achieve and really spend some time visualizing in a real crystal clear way what it would feel like and look like to achieve that. So picture yourself summiting that mountain or getting that job or publishing that book or moving into that dream home, whatever it is. And then here's a fun thing I like to do just to make it a little bit more real. Think about what you do the next day. (laughs) Mm. Once you've achieved your goal, what are you going to wake up and do the next day? It just makes Mm. it that much more concrete, right? Okay, now here's the heart of this. Rewind the movie a little bit to visualize all the steps that you had to take to get to that culminating event. So in the movie of your life, here's where the montage sequence comes in, (laughs) where you're running up the stadium steps or burning the midnight oil, you know, with the inspiring song track in the background. Watch that movie for a little bit. (laughs) And you know what? (laughs) If you can't clearly picture that part of the movie, if you can't see that montage scene because you don't know what you would have to do to achieve that result, then stop right here (laughs) and spend some time 
writing that scene in the movie, spend some time figuring out what those steps would be that would lead you to that result. But then after you've done that work, go ahead and allow yourself to feel confident and optimistic about achieving your goal, even if it feels like a bit of a stretch. And then let that optimism fuel your determination to do the work. Now, going back to our person who sent us the email, one of my superpowers is pulling through when no one thinks I will. (laughs) All that matters is whether you think you will. Exactly. In fact, sometimes I wonder whether when people around us don't seem to be supporting us, they might be doing that same sort of thing of afraid that we're going to be disappointed. (laughs) And maybe they are kind of undermining our success, you know, so that we so that we don't have to face the disappointment of failure or something that there could be a lot of that going on. Now, there's a reason why I think we're all very much attracted to movies about underdogs succeeding. Mm. And and maybe it's because we we do want to see that play out in someone else's life so we can adapt some of it into our own life. Who knows? Yeah, that's a whole study we could do uh, (laughs) on top of this. But for now, I think you've got lots to work on with your lab experiment. And if you want to share with us how the lab experiment is working out for you, or maybe you've got your own story of (laughs) blind optimism or irrational optimism getting you where you wanted to achieve, you can send us a note on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us on all of those as Change ACPOD. That's Change ACPOD. So send us a note and let us know how it goes. Okay, see you next time. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. And don't forget to go out there and believe in yourself a little. This has been the Change Academy Podcast.